Woo! Amen. Praise God. What an incredible time of worship. And uh, God is a way maker. God is a way maker. He is making a way. Can you say that with me? He is making a way. If you're here in person, God is doing something special and unique. We, we were so blessed by last Wednesday and the Better Together Wednesday that we had. There is something God is doing to make all things new here. And uh, I want to encourage you to plug into that, be involved. Uh, we're continuing to look at how to do that in person, but also online, because we care and love about you too online. And uh, in fact, if you're online right now, just drop a comment, making a way. Let our hosts know you're there and listening. If somebody would have told me a year ago, in January of 2020, what was ahead, if somebody would have said, hey, uh, Brian, you're about to walk through an unprecedented time. How many of you are sick of hearing that phrase? You're about to walk through a time where you will experience a global pandemic. That global pandemic will shut portions of our country's economy down. Believe it or not, many will be forced into online worship in America. People will get sick. Some will die. Others will prevail and share that testimony. But hey, if that's not enough, you're going to see things in your country as video footage shows the murders of black Americans that suddenly people are going to see with new eyes how their neighbors are being treated. And for some, that's going to lead to an activism. Prayer walks and protests are going to break out all over the country. That's not enough. In 2020, you're going to see political unrest and division like our country hasn't seen in decades, if not ever. You are going to see people divided and protesting, in many ways turning to violence which we never condone, and Jesus is not about, to be clear. Hello? <laughs> You're going to see all of this in 2020. But on top of that, Brian, personally, you're going to move to Florida. If somebody would have told me a year ago all of that, I would have said, hey, um, let me get a group of people and uh, we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Because uh, clearly you had a bad burrito last night and something's going on, right? I, I mean, if you think about all that we've been through, and, and, and I'm here to tell you that despite everything going on, we serve a God who is good, who is faithful, who is able, who does make a way. I'm a testimony to that. If God, yes. Because here's what I didn't tell you. Hey, Brian, as, as, I, as you find out about this place called Pathway, as you find out about this place called Vero Beach in late June, early July, like I'm sorry to break it to you. I didn't know who y'all were. Okay? As that happens, I'm going to move so suddenly and so fast in your life that when you list your house, it will sell within three days in Michigan. 
in the middle of a pandemic. When you land in Vero Beach, in your first 12 hours, I will show you the house that will become your family's home. I'm telling you, when God is making a way, He is able, He is good. And this is what we see in the Scripture we're anchoring on this month. In Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, we've been unpacking this slowly over the last few weeks. And in verse 18, it says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? And where we're going to focus today is this latter part here. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God was saying this to his people, the nation of Israel, that it experienced exile under Babylon, that it experienced exodus, that it experienced God moving, providing forgiveness and restoration, for providing his presence with them. They had seen God show up and make a way at the Red Sea. They had seen God do things that were miraculous, provide manna in the wilderness, water from a rock. They had seen these things. And here was God saying, I did it, I can do it, and I will do it. And this is what I want us to hear. If our God has done it in the past, he can do it today, and I believe he will do it in our future. That he is that kind of God. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that, and we need to be able to see God around us in new ways. That's what a fast does, is begin to heighten our senses. So we've talked about fasting is feasting. Feasting on God, beginning to develop a new awareness. Beginning to see God in the regular and in the ordinary and in our daily lives. And that, I hope, is what we hunger and thirst for more and more. Philip Yancey, an author, said it this way, uh, as far as looking for God. He said, in searching for God, many people tend to look for the miraculous and the supernatural. Instead, we should be attending to the ordinary. He's saying, yes, God does do the supernatural, but he also shows up in the ordinary. And there's this incredible story in the New Testament where Jesus shows us what it might look like to see him make a way in the wilderness and a river, streams of living water in a desert. If you're following along, turn to John chapter 4, and that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today looking at how does Jesus make a way? What does it look like for him to do that in the wilderness and to provide streams in the desert? He does it in a very ordinary situation, but again, God is so extraordinary that if we see it, I believe he'll invite us into it in our own lives. He'll begin to say, hey, I've got some things that I want to do in and through you. I've got some things that that I want to do in your life. I just need you to see how in the ordinary, I am able to do extraordinary. John chapter 4, picking up in verse 4. says, and he had had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, 
was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. I'll continue reading in a moment, but if you're a note taker, what we see here is Jesus making a way with his limitless love. Say that with me, limitless love. See, there is no end to God's love. And what we see here is extraordinary, but it's an ordinary day. You see, Jesus, the doctrine of the incarnation, teaches us that Jesus was fully God and dwelt among us, but he was also fully man. And this is a moment where it says we see a little bit of his humanity. He sits down weary from his journey. Anybody else weary from the journey? Come on. It just, like, turn that news channel off if you're tired, right? It's just going to wear you out. And so Jesus sits down, and he's weary. One of these moments in Scripture where we can see that because he was fully God and physically present with us, because he chose in Philippians 2, it says, to, to, to empty himself of divine privilege, that he still had to deal with the physical limitations that you and I do. He was weary. He also had chosen to go through Samaria. Now, to be clear and, and to, to understand what's happening here, he's headed to Jerusalem, and he's got two routes to choose from. One route is the route that many like him of Jewish descent were, would have been taking in that day. It was a route that said, Samaria's on is in my way on the way to where I want to go, but I'm going to make a different way and go around it. I'm actually going to go around it to avoid the Samaritans and the people to get where I want to go. It would add distance to their trip. It would actually be further than it had to be. And much of that was because they viewed the Samaritans as a despised race and nation that they were not to associate with. This divide between the Samaritans and the Jews, and even Jews and Gentiles, we'll see later in the New Testament what Jesus does about that, it was so deep that they thought they were doing the right thing. And here goes Jesus walking right into it, making a way and sitting down in his physical body saying he's weary out of well. A well that had historic significance, biblical significance. It's Jacob's well. Jacob's well would have came out of the Old Testament story of Jacob and was something that was incredibly deep. More than 100 feet deep still today, according to most, most archaeologists. And, and so this very deep well was a place where they would come to draw water. As they would come to draw water, that was a communal activity. People from the town would come together, and they would do that together. Can you imagine drawing water from more than 100 feet deep? This took some physical exertion, and they would do it in community and support one another. It wasn't a spring-fed spring well either, meaning that the water in this well was stagnant. It was water that was coming from rain and dew, and, and, and it wasn't fresh. It wasn't springing up. This is the context in which Jesus inserts himself in his love. Let's see what happens next. It says, verse 7, A woman from the 
from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Can you picture what she's feeling? That, that here she is, and the text teaches us that it's at noon, about the sixth hour. You see, you wouldn't draw water at high noon. You would draw water in the morning or the evening when the temperature was cooler. She was doing this activity not in community, but alone. Alone because she was likely avoiding in her own shame, in her own guilt, the people around her. And here's Jesus showing up, and she's probably trying to avoid people, but here's Jesus, a Jewish man, speaking to her. And he doesn't just speak to her. He says, I have a need. Could you provide me with a drink of water? There is a lot of pride that affects my life, and I'm guessing affects your life. Can we just get super real for a minute? Jesus was humble enough to ask somebody that he wouldn't even culturally talk to to now meet a need that he had. Do we view the people around us in our daily life the way Jesus did? Or do we view them in such a way that we don't think anybody has anything else to offer us or that we got to figure it out ourselves? because one of the lies within the American dream narrative is rugged individualism that somehow misses out on depending on God and depending on one another. And here's Jesus sitting down and saying, could you help me? That kind of humility, that kind of limitless love that says, hey, your gender, your race, your economic class, your past aren't issues for my God. That my God has enough of his limitless love that we can figure this out. Can you see what Jesus does to the current state and condition of many of our hearts in our country? Can you see what Jesus makes available? There's a ruler that ruled with massive amount of power named Napoleon. If you know history, you know some of his story. He's quoted as saying this. He's quoted as saying, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius upon force? Jesus Christ founded an empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Jesus' kingdom and his empire is founded on love. A love that knows no limits. A love that says, just like there was a well that he met her at, I want to ask you the question. 
Where are the modern day wells today in your life? Where are the places and spaces that, that maybe you've been avoiding or going around? And God's saying, I want you, just like I did, to be willing to go to those spaces, to believe that I could show up. One of the things that, that we, in, our, in my past, in my story, have been a part of is starting social enterprises, businesses that were doing ministry as mission. Within that, we did coffee shops a number of times. It's a tough business, but it's also a business that in many ways is a modern-day well. And there are some of you that are business leaders, that own businesses, and I'm just wanting to encourage you, look for the spaces that could be those modern-day wells, those places where Jesus is wanting to show up and make a way with his limitless love. Let's read on and see what happens here as we're unpacking this. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Such a beautiful picture. John actually, at least 36 times from what I can tell, uses this idea of living water in his gospel. That there's actually this living aspect to what God puts in us through his Holy Spirit. So he says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's saying, whatever that is, whatever you're talking about, I want some of that. And part of Jesus making a way is us beginning to see his love in new ways. Us beginning to see the living water that he offers us. We live in a world that desperately needs that living water. Amen? Amen. That desperately needs that. And they're going to see it in and through our lives in the ordinary daily circumstances. Where people see your reaction to things, your response to things, and they see something different because in you is this living water. This faith in a God who is able. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, His love, His joy. Not because all the circumstances are lining up, but because you know who's in you and with you. Jesus' love is limitless. And so as we go on here, the second piece of Jesus making a way is this unconditional mercy. Look what happens next, because Jesus never leaves us. He meets us with his love, but he never leaves us there. And I'm so thankful for that. Like if he just came alongside and said, hey, I see how broken you are. I see how much you're hurting. I see everything you've been through. And he just said, I love you. and Let's just stay here and cuddle. Like Jesus is my Snuggie kind of thing. That's not what Jesus does. 
He meets us in that moment and then he says, hey, I've got more for you and I want to deliver you. I want to set you free. I want to move you forward. I want to show you how good I really am. I want to defeat every lie, every lid, everything you've been through. I want to show you what I can do with my mercy. And he does that sometimes by confronting our issues. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. (laughs) The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Whoa, wait a minute. What, Jesus? You, excuse me, you're getting up in my business? The woman said to him, sir, This may be the deepest thing she says in this passage. (laughs) I perceive that you are a prophet. She's quick. But what she actually begins, what Jesus does is he says, okay. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. See, Jesus knows exactly what's going on inside us. He knows exactly where we've been. In her case, I want to be clear here. I don't know that textually, contextually, we can say that she was promiscuous. She had five husbands in a culture that often married for protection and provision. It's possible, actually, that this woman had been discarded by five husbands. And that in fact, now she was outside of God's will by not being married and living in that situation. But that actually her story might be one that had really beat her up and broken her heart in many, many ways. So important that we learn each other's stories, isn't it? Because there's things we go through that God's mercy is meant to meet. And it's meant to lift lies and labels and lids that the enemy has tried to put on us. And Jesus' limitless love and unconditional mercy is meeting her in that moment. And as he's doing that, one of the things that, again, he exposes is, listen, you're not living the way you should live, but he doesn't do it in a condemning way. He's doing it in a convicting way. It's a big difference. We trust the Holy Spirit to convict. We don't need to shame and guilt and condemn. Romans 8.1 if you need proof for that, okay? So Jesus here is demonstrating this. And for us, I want to dive further into the hurts that some of us may feel. See, hurts tend to close us off rather than open up our hearts. So I was preparing to preach on this particular, I've never delivered this message before. By the way, I, I, by God's grace, have done almost 500 messages since he called me into to ministry. I've never repeated one. I'm not that guy. I've repeated certain scriptures and texts, absolutely. But I study fresh and say, God, what do you want to say this week? And so, and so as... <laughs> I'm just letting you, as I have a chance, get to know me, because I'm your new lead pastor, if you didn't know that. (laughs) 
But I was, I was putting myself in her shoes and realizing that yes, she was outside of God's will with a man live in a living arrangement that wasn't God's goal or intent for her. But I also was thinking about all the hurt and what her heart might have been like, how closed up it might be. And I came across 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I realized that for some of us, we can relate not because we're living in a situation like hers, but because of how others have treated us. Maybe you're somebody who's actually like the Apostle Paul. You've done ministry. You've done things in leadership, and you took a beating for it. Our God makes all things new. Our God is able. Listen to what Paul says, and I'm going to just read through without pausing and let God's word speak to our hearts. Because what God, I believe, wants us to do is open our hearts, just like he was trying to get to her heart, to heal the hurts and move her forward. I think he's trying to get to ours too. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to just read straight through what Paul is saying to some people that he could see that the hurts they had experienced were closing up their hearts. Verse 1. Working together with him, then we appeal to you to not receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found within our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, calamity, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Anybody ready to sign up for this? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And then he says this, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Widen your hearts also. Widen your hearts also. I could not shake what I felt the Lord was showing me with this passage. That that he's wanting to meet us with his limitless love and unconditional mercy, that our hearts could be wide open to him and others. That he could say, I'm making a way and I'm making you new. I'm renewing you despite what you've been through. Pastor Craig Groeschel, an author and pastor, says this. He says, when you are ready to quit, try to remember. It takes a death to have a resurrection. It takes pain to have progress. It takes a hurt to have a healing. It takes a struggle to have a story worth telling. It takes a trial to have a testimony. This woman meets Jesus 
and continues to question. I'm going to show you in a minute what happens next. But you'll also see later in her story, she was set on fire to bear witness to what God had done. That she, in fact, went into town and said to everybody, you've got to come see this Jesus. You've got to come see what he's able to do, what he did for me, what he can do for you. See, part of God making a way is us opening up our hearts to him again and trusting that he is good and he is able. There's a story another author tells of a painting worth millions that was found in an attic. This attic had housed this painting for decades, and when the painting was found and brought forth, covered in mud and dirt and just the dust of, of days gone by, there was a moment that the, the person that found it had to choose, what do I focus on? And as you might imagine, if you have a painting worth of mil millions of dollars, you're going to focus on what do I need to do to restore it and to make it better and valuable the way it needs to be. You're not going to focus on all oh, the dirt, all oh, the mud, I'll just give up. You're going to focus on its value and worth. And this is what God does in our lives. Is he says, listen, you might be a little messy. Okay, I'll put my name on it then. <laughs> Y'all got offended. I might be a little messy, Brian. I might be a little broken. I may have some areas I'm not real proud of in my past or even in my present. But I'm making you new and I'm making you beautiful. I'm making you something I can use for my glory. And when we begin to embrace that, our hearts change. And what's interesting, this next section is she brings up a worship war. She brings up the war between the Samaritans and the Jews on which mountain do we worship. And I want to dip into this for a minute because I believe this also has something to say about how God wants to make a way in our lives and in pathway. Picking up in verse 20, it says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. He's describing the fact that the Messiah would come from the line of the Jews. That's he himself. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Can I get an amen? amen. Our God wants to bring freedom in our worship. Our God wants to set us free because of his love, because of his mercy, to really worship him in true freedom. And as you think about, well, what is worship and freedom? I just, I, I was taken back a few years ago. My son was about eight. I'm not going to use his name today. He does have a name, but I won't use it today. When he was about eight years old, during a time of prayer and fasting, we had a prayer vigil at the church in Michigan. And we rode our bikes up there. And, and as we, I jogged, and he rode his bike, and so his sister was with us, and he decided to ride his bike in the main area, kind of room like this, a little bit smaller though, 
Oh, some of you are like, whoa, buddy. Yeah. So one of my friends is there, and they're praying, and, and he's riding his bike. And, and we're talking, and I'm like, hey, buddy, where are you right now? I'm in the main worship area. And he keeps riding. Hey, buddy, what's this room all about? And his response was so profound. Without missing a beat, he said, it's about freedom. <laughs> I looked at my friend and he looked at me and he said, he's good. <laughs> we talked later about the appropriate time to ride a bike. But in that moment, I wanted that theological truth to sit out of the mouth of a babe right where it belonged. Our God wants to bring freedom in our worship. There's three aspects very quickly of worship I want to make sure that, that we all understand. The first is, Jesus is getting at this, whoever worships me, whoever worships me. So true worship is also wherever you are. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 through 18, says this, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty and freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So wherever we're at during the week, Whatever room we find ourselves in, we can worship in spirit and in freedom. And that's something we can do individually. And that's a choice. That doesn't mean it's based on, are they singing the song I like? Is, is that the volume I like? Did I get my coffee before I came into the room? Did I get the right parking spot? It's not based on any of that. It's based on a freedom that comes from our spirit. That says it doesn't matter how bad Pastor Brian's singing is, because some of you sitting around me can hear me. I'm going to worship it in freedom and in truth. Amen? The second aspect is real worship is wherever we are. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a holy dwelling place by God's Spirit. So when we come together and we worship together, God's Spirit is here. And there should be freedom. And, and I just want to make sure you understand that physical expression does have a place in our worship. It may not be your personality, but that doesn't mean that it can't be somebody else's personality that begins to come alive in worship. What am I saying? I'm saying that, if you ever like noticed in worship, sometimes we can be like this, right? We're worshiping, and then we get our hands out. It's like we're, we're down here, right? And for some of you, that's a big deal. Like you're, you're checking the change in your pockets, like, okay? Now you're out here. And then, and then at times we can get to like, this is one I love to do. You'll see me. I'm, I'm up here, like two hands, touchdown Jesus kind of thing. Okay. And then there's other times where, you know, I just, I got a heartbeat going, right? And I'm worshiping. And, and you'll notice that I sway a lot. And my wife would tell you, I don't have any rhythm. So don't, don't sway with me because we're probably off rhythm. 
But, but movement, physically, culturally, personality-wise, can be a part of our worship. Pastor Randy and I have been talking about the fact that we want to just create an environment that is so worshipful and, worshipful and so free that we understand that if our feet start moving, it's okay. Like, we don't need a bunch, like, if you're like, well, what's he saying? Are we going to get distractions in worship? No, read 1 Corinthians 14. We'll keep it biblical, okay? I got you. But at the same time, if we're sitting there and God's bringing our heart alive in worship, let it out. Praise him. Worship him. And that should carry into other aspects of our life because the th last part of worship is worship is wherever we work. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, do it for me. So wherever you find yourself, whether you're a student, whether you're working, or whether you are retired, God is still showing you things to put your hand to during the week, that it can be an act of worship, whatever we do. So my hope and prayer is that we can develop with God's limitless love, His unconditional mercy, and this attitude of wherever we are, we're going to be worshipers, that we could see God do a new thing here. Amen? He is making a way, and I believe He's going to do that through each of us in new ways. Sometimes, though, it's easy to return to what has chained us. I've been really moved by the story over the last couple of years of hearing, and it sounds so random, but how circuses train elephants. You see, if you know what they do, they take a baby elephant and they take a big stake and they drive it into the ground with a big heavy chain. And that elephant pulls and pulls and pulls till its spirit is broken. And then it grows up. Larger than the chain, larger than the stake, but that chain and stake is no longer even needed. That actually, if you jump ahead, a fully mature elephant often that's been trained this way will be held by a simple piece of rope and a wood stake that's just enough to feel familiar to it and remind it of, remind it of its past and that feeling that it can't break loose. But our God breaks every chain. Amen. Our God wants to set us free. Our God wants to say, hey, quit going back to that. I want to release you. I want to set you free. So two questions for you. Next step questions as we get ready to respond in worship. First is, will you let Jesus today break the chains and make a way? You know what they are. We know what the Samaritan woman's were. What are yours? What are the things that, that God's saying, okay, it's time. I'm made away. I want to break the chains. I want to set you free to be who I've created you to be. I believe there's healing and renewal and freedom in new levels coming, church. Secondly, what lies or limits have you believed about your life? She had a lot. What are yours? And are you ready to bring them to Jesus today to find real freedom? I'm going to invite you to stand, and I just want to pray over us. Um, yep, all of you at once, please. <laughs> You've been sitting there long enough. 
And we are going to go into a time of worship. If you're online with us and you're able to worship right where you're at, please stand and let's, let's do it. Let your hands do something new today. Or if you're just one of those people that it is so on fire in your heart, but your physical body will never move, I want you to find freedom too to know that that's okay. We will not judge each other by how we worship. Is that clear? An environment of freedom to just worship him. So Jesus, we look to you now. Jesus, you are the way maker and you are the one that in the power of your name can break every chain. So Father, I ask right now that you would meet us with your limitless love, meet us with your unconditional mercy, and teach us what it means to be alive in you and to really worship you. Father, break every chain that the enemy has tried to place on us and set us free that we could say all things have been made new by Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. The altars are open.
God, we love you and praise you that you are the way maker and the chain breaker. That God, no matter what we have been through, your love and mercy is able to move us forward, to set our hearts alive, living water come, that we could be filled with you and on fire for you, worshiping you, not just here in this moment, but in all of life. Father, continue to grow us and teach us. Continue to develop us in you. And Father, we give you all the glory what you are doing in the unseen realm right now because I know you are at work and you are moving us forward into the things that you have so we give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus name everyone said amen amen Amen. Uh, I just want to tell you that worship and praise often precedes the victory. That biblically, it's our praise and our worship that often opens the door. Again, we do that individually, we do that collectively, and we do that through our work during the week. So my prayer and hope is that that God begins to set you on fire in new ways. That you just get so excited about who He is that you can't help but share him with those around you. It's going to be exciting to watch God work in 2021, isn't it? It really is. Next weekend, next weekend, we will have our uh, first of four throughout the year. We'll be highlighting missions locally and globally every fifth Sunday. We get to do that next week together. I want to invite you to be back and be a part of that and uh, to see what God's doing there. If you're a visitor, please let our hosts know online. And if you're here in person, you can come to our Welcome Center. We have a gift, and we just want to welcome you. You can give through the boxes or online. It's an act of worship. It's another way that we worship and say, God, I trust you, that you're making a way even in my finances. Amen. And he is good and he is able. Father, I just pray for each person here that they would walk in your blessing and favor this week. That, Father, they would sense you with them, that the battle is not theirs, but yours. And may you make a way. Make a way as we follow you, whatever that means to each person. And Jesus, may we share that with all those around us and give you glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. amen. Go now and be the church. Have a great week.